Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 301 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode I chat to Dan Marshall and Ben Ward of Size 5 Games about their point-and-click platformer action-adventure roguelite RTS 4X sports sim twin-stick shooter and walking simulator Lair of the Clockwork God. Alright, I might have overcooked that a bit, but there's a lot going on in the Lair of the Clockwork God and there's a lot going on in Dan and Ben's head. As you'll soon hear, this is a very, very interesting episode for all the right reasons. Just want to point that out. All the right reasons. You'll find, I just, I don't know. I I hope you survive. I did. I'm living, talking after this experience. It was fantastic. But it's one I'll never forget in a very, very long time. Chris, from the past, please Share with us what happened. Oh boy. Three, two, twelve. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, was that? No, no, no. Sorry. No, that's fine. Go for it. Go for it. Um, yeah, we just, this podcast is all about just guessing numbers. It is. And you just totally. have to pick, you pick a number and shout it out, and whoever gets the best number wins, okay? Yeah, I'm going to okay. keep this in the show. Ben and Dan, who are Bye. you? What do you do? Uh, uh, hello, my, hello. <laughs> my name's Dan hello. Marshall. I run a company called Size 5 Games, which uh, we make sort of silly little indie games. Um, and our latest one is called Layer of the Clockwork God, which came out on consoles uh, last Friday. Um, and it's a sort of point-and-click game uh, and a platform adventure we'll thing. That, Dan, you're answering the question wrong. <laughs> Sorry, what? Answering the question wrong, we'll get yeah. into that game later. You, like, well, you, I'm just saying, you know, but I've got to start like I've got to get my sales pitch in like right at the start. Otherwise, well, you've messed well, it up already. Yes, he has. Wait three quarters an hour before they get to me yeah. selling them things. Because the next thing blissfully... you know, you'll be telling us how you got your career started before that question is asked of us. Yeah, you've completely yeah. buggered yeah. up. Before, man. <laughs> I first had the idea of being a game developer. <laughs> um, uh, ben, do you want to answer eight. the question yeah. as well, like before we go on to Dan, and then we'll just alternate between the pair of you, if I can control you, which is not going to be possible. 
Um, okay. Um, what do you I do? am uh, a developer of a game called Layer the Clockwork God. Um, right. It's a mix of platforming and... No, I'm, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I'm... Uh, <laughs> my name's Ben. Um, I do freelance uh, video game design and writing, um, but I have not managed to make that my full-time uh, income yet, so I still have to do uh, Desk Monkey work. Um I thought you were going to say you still had to do like do stuff for me. I thought you were about to like <laughs> throw shade at me and say like I so I have to still have to work for Dan. I'm still slumming it like... with this indie developer <laughs> bollocks. <laughs> that's Good. me. Right now, let me go to the second question. Which have we answered about... the first and... question completely? And are we have we completed question one? You have completed question one. Well done. Wow. Well yeah, done. No. Three thousand four hundred and forty-six, <laughs> eight hundred and twelve point three. That won't make any sense because he won't, he let it out the bit. Hey, no, I won't. I'm keeping it in. I said so. We're keeping, keeping it, in. it in. Yeah. Got to now. Forced him into it. How did <laughs> your pair of you make start making flashy lighty video games? Uh, how, I you used to back as far as you on, like. I used to make games on uh, Click and Play when I was like 14. Whenever whatever year Click and Play came out. And Ben used to come around and help and make them and play them. And and we sort of grew up together just doing daft stuff like that. And then I decided uh, I wanted to start making games properly, learning proper code and things like that. That was about 2004 and uh, taught myself C++ and uh, made some daft little games. And uh, and then at one point, I, it just, I used to be a TV producer and it was used to, you know, I used to make games as a hobby. And me and Ben made um, Ben There, Dan That and Time Gentlemen, Please. Basically, as a uh, evenings and weekends sort of thing, uh, and I and I just got an opportunity to jump ship. I, I, I was doing a we pitched a game to Channel Four called Privates, just as Time Gentleman Please was out, I think, and it was one of the first games on one of the first indie games on um, Steam back when like getting on Steam was was incredibly dif- difficult, and so like the cash from that and the cash from um, uh, Privates, you know, sort of propped me up and and gave me a good shot at um turning what was my hobby into my full-time job um and then i sort of sort of uh rope ben into being my what's your job ben he writes and designs puzzles with me but he um he's basically the guy who who makes the game who keeps on telling me to pick things up a notch right and i try and say that'll do and ben will go that won't do make it better yeah. um I was just I was just watching a playthrough of the game the other day and it reminded me of um uh just like uh in one of the levels there's a, a pile of trash in the corner and there's a monitor that it's a cracked monitor and uh I sent an email to Dan saying that crack on that monitor that shouldn't be black, that should be dark grey. And Dan was like, For fuck's sake, like I'm struggling to make this entire game. I've I've still got big pieces that I'm trying to tie together and you're worried about exactly how dark is the crack in that monitor in the corner that no one's going to look uh, look at. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm there for. Yeah, that's Ben's job. Nitpicking. (laughs) You'd be surprised. People will. They will go, oh, I enjoyed the game, except... (laughs) There's a point from Alfred uh, from Hitchcock who said, like, you can make absolute perfect movie yeah um but if you've got one uh scene set in a train station and the train times are not correct to what they are in real life you will you know 
That's yeah. what people will focus yeah. on. I think you'll find. Uh, hang on, he's he shot himself in the foot. That's not a perfect movie. If he's admitting there's a fault in the movie. <laughs> per- perfect. I'm with the chain notes on this one. Like, yeah. Okay, and Ben, how did you make your start? You just sort of wrote, sort of Dan roped you into it, basically. Yeah, so I was I was hanging out with um, Dan. Uh, we you know we met at school when we were about thirteen or so, and very soon after that, I, th- I think I think it was almost at the exact same time Dan was getting into pick and play and making platform games and stuff like that. So yeah, so I so it was just part of our friendship it was part of what we did to have fun was um was make these games and uh you know write silly jokes for them and kind of just sit around doodling and um like concepts for them and and um you know getting out the encyclopedia botanica and pretending to do research and (laughs) stuff like that back in the days where you had to get out an actual book and oh yeah strange wood pulp things i remember those yeah, so you know, I've done like as um, as uh, gaming has become. I don't know if this is the right. This isn't quite the right word, but like more democratic. Like it's it's more it's easier for anyone to just like twine or uh, game make or something like that, and make their own games. I've I've kind of dabbled in some game jam stuff on the side, but yeah, but my main like my main output has been doing stuff with Dan basically. Okay, okay. You, you, would you say your main contribution to video game industry over the last ten years has been mainly cracks, cracks in monitor colours? Um, I think I've really upped the industry <laughs> standard in that yeah. regard. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Do you know I, there was a you know that um, Halo Infinite footage that did the rounds? Was that like part of E3? Yes, or that, that, that generated some about? conversation. Yeah, go on. I don't know if you noticed, but actually, if you look in the background at some yeah. of the monitors, yeah. The- the cracks in some of those monitors are way off base. Way yeah, off. I saw that. Yeah. No wonder they delayed it. It was all because of that. Not like, well, because yeah. of the really With good reason. I mean, you know, a game, what's that quote about how, you know, a, a rushed game is, is bad forever, but, a, you know, if you, a, you know, if you work really hard on the monitor cracks, eventually it's good or something else. <laughs> something something like I think that. Hitchcock said that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sounds like him, doesn't it? Yeah, it does totally <laughs> yeah. sound like him. Um, here we go, the infamous third question. Ready? Brace yourselves. One, is third this one, the, is this the offensive one? No, it's not the offensive one yet. That's the fourth one. Okay, well, potentially offensive. It depends how you frame it. So, Can you can you word it in a really... Can you try and um, use an intonation of make it really like sound offensive? I can make it really snarky. Would that help? Yeah, Whatever that'll do. it is, my answer is Hitler. Fine. Oh, yeah. God. You really okay? Now you've said that. Now I'm going to ask the question. You go. I need to retract that. So here we go. <laughs> um, as creators of things, apparently you create things. I don't know. Um, what are your biggest, you know, influences? Oh, Hitler. Easy. Hitler. <laughs> yep. Painter. <laughs> the fourth. Well, the Third Reich. Okay. And unlike oh Hitchcock, he kept the trains running on time. So he was yeah, good. He, he was, wasn't he? He was good at. He was good at. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like I planned that. That was perfect. It's good, oh isn't it? God. No, but it's like I said. Uh, many many guests sort of struggle with this one. But what I'm asking is that clearly you make stuff and you 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 are creators of things, and therefore you must be influenced by something in order to fuel that creation. What do you think that is? Uh, well, well, what was the sorry? <laughs> so, what was the question? Was it like which which game developer is 
But what was the question? No, no, no. It's just you create, you create stuff. What, what, what influences you as creators? Uh, and it was who would win in a fight between Hitler and game developers? <laughs> You're not going to answer this, are you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone who's. I don't know anyone who's better than me at anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, clearly, like we have, there's two sides of uh, what we do at Size Five, which is like we 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 try and make good games that are well designed, and uh, certainly with Clockwork God, like quite a, quite a, half of Clockwork God seems to be the comedy aspect of it and the writing and that sort of thing. So, like, certainly, it's easier to find influences in our lives from the comedy side of things because we were both brought up like on a sort of similar diet of British. Sitcoms yeah, and comedy I mean, and stuff. It's it's uh, up there with you know the Fast Show and League of uh, Gentlemen and stuff like that. I I can I see take it. offense. You've done your you've done your offensive one. I take offense at the Fast Show. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Because that's just a series of catchphrases that that's not it's that funny. A series of catchphrases repeated yeah, over and over. Repeated over. But I like you know yeah. anything. I would say like anything like Rick Mail and Adams and the old uh, uh, young ones and Filth Rich and Calflap and Bottom and oh, then God, and yeah. then Stuart Lee. And Faulty Towers and like those great British um, yes. classics, I think that I, I would consider those influences because I, as Ben said, Ben said recently, like another podcast, which I hadn't really considered, but like when we're writing Dan and Ben, our, I think our internal voices for them are either Rick Mayer or Stuart Lee, depending on what the tone of voice is, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, and also maybe the so, subject matter, but yeah, it's it's definitely there's more stucco sort of like um, punching from Stuart Lee than the. The rabid um, rantings of Rick Mayle, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for me, my influences are probably again, again, like on the comedy side. I think a lot of influences are where um, they successfully tie it to narrative and character work. So, like stuff like um, uh, Alvin and Hobbs or Bill and Ted or Red Dwarf, where you've got these really strongly designed characters and you've got really strong sci-fi concepts or genre concepts or pop culture references like space or whatever. Um, and they managed to keep like, they, they managed to um, they managed to achieve that and to achieve the comedy and to get them both like intertwined with each other. So they're both supporting each other. So that, that's the kind of thing that I really uh, strive, you know, strive towards. And, um, the satire side of things, stuff like Brass Eye and Monty Python, you know, again, where they're making satirical points or whatever, but they tie it in very well to kind of to surrealism or silliness and slapstick and stuff like that. Okay. I suppose you want like you actually want like video game ones, don't you? No, I just I don't, who's, I don't like, mind. like in terms of influence on video games. Um, I would say that like because we've got three point of clicks out now by size five, and I would say that probably the Tim Schafer, Ron Gilbert. Uh, yep. mid 90s era um and like the you know the steve purcell uh sam and max and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. i would say is probably like because the design of larry mm-hmm. god is basically influenced almost exclusively by like day of the tentacle sam and max hit the road and full throttle as like the we call them the holy trinity of point and clicks right that's I... the perfect that's to us yeah. that's the pinnacle of what you should be doing and like ben has like this almost encyclopedic um understanding of the design of those games so like you know i will suggest when we were talking about designer stuff when i would suggest a puzzle or a solution to a puzzle and all that sort of thing ben will just immediately sort of pull out like 
you know, when you're showing a when you're showing someone a puzzle, you can't do this, that, or the other, or whatever. And I'm very impressed by his ability to do that because it's it's as I far as I understand it, it's like basically entirely self-taught um, by playing Day of the Tentacle three hundred thousand times. Yeah, in the same way that like you you know we both watched Faulty Towers a million times or whatever, and we read the scripts or, and kind of went, oh, that's how that joke works. You know, it's a similar kind of thing with the adventure games. It's like, why is this puzzle so satisfying? And why is this narrative, you know, why is this storytelling so satisfying in the way that it ties in with the puzzle so satisfying? You know, um, having played those games a million times, you just start to think about that stuff. And, and you know, you think, what's the stuff that works and what's the stuff that doesn't, in yeah. my opinion? And um, try to, you know, try to follow those those rules that you've kind of worked up in your head and i can definitely see the full throttle influence because that's one of the games in point and clicks that you start off thinking oh it's just it's just like the dig or something like that you know just a series of of puzzles nothing wrong with that particular game but then when you play yeah, it, right. wait i've got yeah, to do stuff <laughs> i've got to do i've actually got to be like dexterous yes well you mean i've got to hit these people with a plank on the back of a bike yes <laughs> I thought they changed that. Did they not change that to be more puzzly, or is that my imagination? No, I when I played it, played it, was... it was like a actual action sequence. But yeah. they, I thought they changed it to be. Well, they may have done uh, a later version, but the original version, which I only remember because I haven't played the later version, it does, did actually have a full interaction thing there. We actually had to do something to actually succeed. Yeah. It was good. Okay, so so they did the remastered version, but they didn't. As far as I'm aware, they didn't. So they, that was it was basically just a, a paint over oh. um they didn't change the puzzle structure or anything like that so the mm. the section you're talking about the mine road section where you had to get in fights with a load of yeah, bikers yeah. yeah do need small amount of hand-eye coordination yeah but there is a puzzle element where certain items will beat certain uh That's characters right. yeah so like you can so like the cave fish um you can you can beat them with the chainsaw, and that's really easy. But they will self-destruct. So what you need to do is is use a different item to uh, incapacitate them, and you do need a little bit of timing on that. And that is a little bit of a pain in the arse. I think yeah. like oh, um, I think they could I think they could have made that section a little easier. But it's not it's not like it suddenly turns into you know uh, Street Fighter Two or whatever. No, it's, it's, no. No. I just, I was just, it took me by surprise. Like, wait, I have to do something, and that that's, seems to be completely infused in what you've made here with the day of the clockwork god. So, next question. In this one, potentially, you could be offensive. Uh, what developer did most admire in in the industry, and why? Uh, well, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to jump in in case Dan steals one. I'm going to say Tim Schafer. Um. Partly because so you go you go nuts. I wasn't going to say that at all. Carry on. Oh, excellent. Um, well, in that case, you want to go first. No, you know you do Tim Schafer. That's fine. Okay. Um, so partly just because, um, you know, as 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 someone who plays, I play mostly adventure games and FPSs. Those are my two big uh, um, genres, and I think you know he stands out as one of the big designers who has consistently uh you know uh, made many of uh many of the same genre and like made many classics in the same genre um so he's just a you know he's an excellent writer he's a brilliant writer 
um, is uh, generally very good at creating puzzles and he's a good game uh, director. Um, so, you know, just on the basic level of how many good games he's done that are in my favorites list and like he's the immediate choice and you know uh also acknowledging that he did co-design and co-direct a lot of those games uh, or um but um uh also just the fact that he kept an independent studio going for 10 years with a uh, very little crunch a lot of staff retention very few redundancies uh, you know, he wears his politics on his sleeve. He's liberal. He, he wasn't afraid to you know, stand up against Gamergate. Um, just, you know, like he didn't crusade against him or anything, but he made it clear what his opinions were and, and you know, kind of s- strives for a good work environment with, uh, you know, uh, like a, a broad... Um, you know, a broad variety of, of employees and stuff. I'm... Um, I'm, I'm trying to think like <laughs> I'm, t- I'm trying to not say the wrong words, but um, you know, just like a very considerate, thoughtful employer, and you know, and also the uh, when they made the documentary of um, of Broken Age and just like opening the like pulling back the curtain and letting fans see more of the you know, the ups and the downs of game development, that thing. I just I've, I think he's very positive force for the games industry yeah, yeah. i agree with him. that um comes up a lot. Thing was ace as well because the uh i found that really inspirational i found it like re- i found it really hard to watch an episode and not immediately want to just turn around turn it off and and start working on my own games i found it really like uh yeah inspiration i found it really sort of um overwhelming and like in in terms of the amount of how glorious it made everything sort of look like not in terms of made it look easy but it made it look like really welcoming and pleasant and happy place to go and work and it made it really sort of um made me want to make games basically yeah and dan what's your uh personal oh mine's, personal mine's a lot easier because i i haven't got like a diatribe of of things <laughs> but like okay. and mine's, mine's slightly nepotistic but like uh you asked like who i admire in mm. the games industry and Honestly, right now, my answer is Sean Murray from Hello Games. And like, and this is like, this is very nepotistic because I know him. I, I call him a friend. He's a nice man. We've met several times. Uh, and I know all the guys at Hello Games. Well, I know the, you know, the, the founding four. Um, and I was, I mean, No Man's Sky blew me away, even at launch. Uh, and I think what they've done as you know sean was always amazing on all those interviews and stuff that he did leading up to the launch i think like the way they handled the fact that uh that the the backlash to it was was perfect uh i think the way he has handled the the community and the way he's handled uh the ongoing development of no man's sky into something very different to what it was at the start but like maintaining that that core um those core sensibilities is is very impressive and i you know it's We've all we've all made games in. We all made games that like. Not everyone likes what you make, right? You can't ever do that unless you're making a game set in a train station, a Hitchcockian thing made in a station. <laughs> There's no such thing as a perfect game. So no matter what you do, like, I'm sure there are people out there who would give Breath of the Wild a four out of ten. Yes. Right? that's yeah. part of the job, right? And despite the fact it's demonstrably an amazing game, someone's just not going to like it. Um, and we've all had to deal with that, and it's and it's my 
gut reaction to being told that someone doesn't like the thing that I made is I shut down, right? And I just go, that's it, move on. And it's like, it's my own personal, very broken defense mechanism. But like, you know, the the swindle, for example, swindle was doing was doing really well. And it was getting like eights and nines out of 10. And um, I was really, really pleased. And then the Guardian review came out and they said they didn't like it. And my attitude was just, I just, I couldn't physically move past that point. I just sort of went, right, that's it for the swindle. One person doesn't like it. Um, I got to just, I'm going to dump this and move and, and move on to the next thing. Um, because I, you know, mentally, I just couldn't cope with uh, with how I promote something when one person doesn't like it. It feel it feels disingenuous to be saying, "No, this is a good game. You should play it," when one person has said they didn't like it. So going back to Sean and um, and Ryan and everyone at Hello uh, Hello Games, I think the the way that they basically just uh, they made a game which I genuinely prefer vanilla no man's sky to what it turned into but they took that game and they went do you know what this is i mean you, you all know what hello games is you don't need me to tell you why they did an amazing job um they've done incredibly well yeah great choice i've met him several times myself he's a you're right it's a lovely man and uh they made mercenary nothing wrong with that you know that's that's where they it's what? there's a game from the mid 80s called mercenary which is very similar to no man's sky that's what they did and oh i fine. see yeah yeah so people of a certain that. age, including myself, knew like, oh, it's mercenary. Maybe Dan, you don't. Maybe you don't admire him that so much now. You realise that he just ripped off a. <laughs> you know, now I think about it, Joe Danger was just Excite Bike with nicer graphics. Yeah, there you go. Hang on, Hang on. my career is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but he did campfire. Yeah, I do remember oh, one. This is all coming to. I do remember one. Uh, I think it was a Gamescom or an E3. They kind of. Slosh in between each other. I don't go to uh, E3 anymore because, you know. uh, but I remember talking to Sean and he showed me the iPhone version of said motorcycle game, and uh, yeah, it's a danger. And uh, he was he was thrilled about how it was getting it to move, and he was it was an amazing feat how they managed to squeeze that game onto very yeah, yeah. Uh, mediocre hardware at the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just remember saying to him, "I said, how did you get it to move so smooth?" He looked at me and goes. Can I give you a hug? <laughs> That's a I, of... I just, it's another thing that I didn't I didn't realize this. I can't remember where I saw this. I I might have made this up, but I saw this recently that like um because Joe Danger and Joe Danger 2, and then there was a, like a third one, Joe Danger movies, and yeah. they were all like Xbox and PS3, I'm gonna yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. And like and it was just one of these things that like I'd seen it and it's like this is doing incredibly well, but I didn't realise I might have made this up, this might not be true, but like it was the iPhone one, the Joe Danger touch that basically made them i assume made them the most money yeah you know yeah. it was it was that one that did it and it was like yeah. you know full credit to sean because i would have looked at joe danger and gone right we've made three joe, joe danger games now on uh on all the consoles yeah that's enough joe danger let's move on and like yeah. the ability to look at it and go actually no we can do we can do this this will this will um this will do well it's a genuine talent you know yeah. to to, yeah. to identify what can go where and also the ability, because honestly, it's, it's extraordinary what he did. So, last question of the first half. Here we go. What are you playing? Right it like this. It's not like um, who wants to be a millionaire, you know. I know. This is not like it's like you're the last question. Are you ready? Here we go. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I'm but gonna, even still, because we win money out of this at the end. Is there, is there, <laughs> there may be, but I'm just saying, you know, you're getting through. You're almost there, halfway through. But anyway, what are you playing right now? 
Uh, right now, I'm playing um, the Resident Evil 2 remake, which oh. uh, just oddly enough, I I just it came up on uh, on my Twitter feed as like it's only eight quid right now, and I was like, I wanted to play that, but like I I you know I'm not massively invested in that like horror stuff and and that style of game, but like I did, I was interested in it, you know seeing the videos of it whenever it came out and it was only eight quid so it turned up so i've been playing that and uh it is it is very good it's very uh tactile game mm. and i'm again a bit fed up of wandering around a police station trying to work out where the next like tiny thing that i haven't noticed is right. but uh it's it's very it's very beautiful it's um the the horror on it is exceptionally well done for a game that's like i never found resident evil very scary because it was I played the first one like in 1996 or whatever it was, and it was all just blocky pixels. But they've done an incredibly good job making all the zombie faces and um, you know the grotesque stuff actually genuinely quite creepy and unpleasant. So far, I'm only like I'm only like a couple of hours into the game. Um, so yeah, I'm quite I'm actually quite impressed with it. When I I, I bought it thinking this will be something fun to play over a couple of evenings and then I'll give up, but actually I'm strangely into it. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've encountered a game recently that, that I thought, oh, I'll play this a little bit, and now all of a sudden, completely engrossed. Um, Was it Larry Clockwork God available now on consoles and Steam? Yes, it is. Oh, exactly that. Good. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, I wasn't going to reveal, but yes, okay. You, I, I confess, a complete thing. So Ben, what about yourself? What are you? What's distracting you at the moment? Um. Well, I've kind of. I've gone through a period of not playing many games. I'm just I'm trying to like push myself back into it now. So I've just started. I've 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 had a couple of things on the back burner for ages. Like um, you know, I'm I'm like an hour into South Park, uh, South Park Stick of Truth, and Arkham City, and I I think I might have to restart those and start like and make my own little you know how you used to get like keyboard overlays with all the what all the keys do and what your special moves are. God, I forgot about those. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think yeah. I might have to start making my own of of those um, just because I don't normally play RPGs, so I I all right I'm not used to uh can't just in like uh, I can't instinctively absorb. Um, all these different moves that you have to do and when you have to do them and all this kind of stuff. So I'm finding that really difficult. Okay. Um, but aside from those, I just started uh, Dropsy the Clown. I don't know if you know that one. It's a it's an adventure game, um, and it's like the, the graphics are it's kind of like 90s level graphics, and it's um, like an ugly, beautiful aesthetic. Nice. And so you're playing this this big, scary looking clown. His main verb is hug. He's walking around the world and no one wants to hug him because he looks terrifying. Um, and there's no dialogue and it's all kind of a machinarium style pictographics for what people are feeling and what their um, uh, what their goals uh, and urges are. Um, and um, it's really cool. Like it's really well presented, interesting everything. Um, the only thing. I could, like I've just started. I'm I'm only kind of 15 minutes into it, and the only thing that I'm struggling a bit with is that it's doing that thing that uh, Dan and I try to avoid, which is it's um, it's just immediately opened up, and I feel a bit open. I feel a bit overwhelmed. 
because um, you know there's like immediately like 20 screens and a map screen and 20 characters and they're all uh kind of giving me vague um you know uh um like ideas of things they want and it like I, the uh the eight shopkeepers was always yeah. i don't know it wasn't even a very good analogy but i always feel like there's the second act of every monkey island game opens up and there are eight shops and then in, inside each shop there are eight shopkeepers and on each shelf there are eight items and like you've just finished like a big chunk of game where you've worked your way through solving puzzles and you're now you're suddenly at this point where you don't even know what the puzzles are yet and you haven't even got around to sort of working out how you're going to fix them and it's quite it's quite a, it's a depressing part of every adventure game where you're just like oh, i've got to work out what the puzzles even are um, and I find it, I find that like a big, like turn off point for me. So like, I, yeah, it's a thing yeah. we, we try to avoid for Clockwork Garden. We try to make yeah. sure it was um, that's, that's, narrow. That's one focused. of the things I always go on about as well with, you know, with, with Day of the Tentacle or any, any of the, the, you know, veered LucasArts adventure games, they're always very careful about actually getting you into the game like it's gradually opening up and well, you know, apart from like Dan says with some of the Monkey Island ones, it suddenly goes like bam, three islands, like, you know, all full of people and full of stuff. Mm-hmm. Bam. But like the Holy Trinity will go, Okay, here's your objective. Like you're in one room, solve that. Okay, now you've got two rooms, now you've got five rooms. Like, here's your objective. Remember your objectives, you know. Um, so that's something we always try to bear in mind but um yeah so i'm, I'm sure that once i've wandered around uh dropsy a few more like you know i've spent another half hour collating everything i'll so it'll all come to less but at the, at, um, at the moment it feels like i was playing fez you know how like fez just keeps on expanding and you're yeah. like, oh my god is this yeah, game yeah. going to take a breath at some point yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it just keeps on going and going i'm like the exact same problem i had with it i just yeah. and i was like which door this door went where oh my god like yeah you like, just you, get lost you're, you're just like i've not been here two doors yeah you get faced with two doors and you go right I'll, go, I'll just pop my head through this one and you go through that door and it's like there's three more doors yeah and you go okay i'll, I'll keep going left door and you go through that one there's four more doors and you're like i've forgotten yeah. like how many steps backwards there were even before I, you know, I found it, I found that massively overwhelming very quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's also it's, the, like, uh... it's impressive. Like, because, you know, I kept on thinking at some point I'm going to hit a dead end or it's going to loop and I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get the size of it. I'm going to go, Oh, okay. It's not that big. And it's like, no, it really is this gigantic. And it's like, <laughs> I just felt like I was never going to stop going. Yeah. Which was a really cool feeling on the one hand, but on the other hand, I was like, really? <laughs> am I ever going to, you know, <laughs> am I ever going to be able to like go out what the hell I'm doing? Yeah, and <laughs> also apparently 200% it because you know there's it's all sorts of weird language you've got to figure out. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's also, I mean, the way you're describing everything opens out. Some games celebrate this, of course. Fallout 3 being a prime example when you get out of the shelter and you stagger out and you see the grass, vast wasteland before you, and basically the game is saying, right, you've got the basic skills, off you pop. <coughs> It's like what well, even like even Breath of the Wild like just handles yeah. that way better. Like Breath, Breath of the Wild is a perfect example where you're like you're stuck on a plateau and until it teaches you the basics and make sure you've got it. And then once you've done that, it's like okay, you can go anywhere. 
Yeah. But like, but like it, but it does it so well because it's like, yeah. well, I can obviously going to the going directly into that volcano is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it sort of show it it guides you so well that game. Um, Extraordinary. It's, it's yeah. impeccably well put together. Doesn't Breath of the Wild let you? I haven't played it, but doesn't doesn't it let you access the end of game baddie immediately? Yeah, yes. Um, and you so theoretically you... can go and you theoretically can not immediately, but once you've got like you start off on this plateau. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you get and then you've done that and got the paraglider, and then once you've done that, which is probably about an hour's gameplay or quicker if you're very good, but like it's probably about an hour, an hour and a half, and then um, you can theoretically just run straight up to the end game, baddie, and with your three yeah. hearts and your stick, and um... <laughs> which breaks uh, off about two seconds. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's your you. You immediately have an objective, like wh- wherever you go in the game, whatever you're doing, know if it, everything is in a service of that one end objective. Yeah. Is good enough to beat this guy? Like yeah. you know, that's really clean. That's really, mm. it's really nice. Right. Well, that's the end of the first half. Well done. You see, you made it. Next. <laughs> We've Lightning got, round. Lightning round. We got the second half of the show where we delve deep into the lair of the clockwork god. Before we do that, we've kind of done this already, but let's just do it officially. Before we delve into it, you need to know what it is. So, in your own words, either of you or both of you, I don't mind. What is the Lair of the Clockwork God? I'll do it because I'm very, I got quite good at this now. So, uh, Lair of the Clockwork God is where you play, you play as me and Ben, and uh, Ben is a diehard old school point and click fan and uh, does everything using verb wheels and looking at and talking to and has an inventory full of things he will combine. And Dan has decided there's no money to be made in adventure games, so he's going to be an indie darling platformer instead, and he's the, like, runny, jumpy one. And you have to, like, use their use their unique skills to stop all the apocalypses. Yeah. Ben's gone full Hollow Knight. It's great. <laughs> gone full, gone Sorry, full Dan. 
Dan's gone full Hollow Knight. I was just thinking about the platform. Yes. Uh, done one way around. So basically, Apologies. Dan's ripped. Like, what you're saying is that we've ripped off Hollow Knight. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I, it's because I admire Sean Murray so much that what I do is I just rip <laughs> off every game that I, I see and like and yeah. uh, turn it into my own thing. You ripped that off from Sean Murray? Yeah. Yeah. The concept of ripping off. <laughs> that's, how anyway. him, that's how good That's how much I admire him. There is only Don't six stories. All the way so down. Worry. Yeah, there's only yeah. six stories, so don't worry about it. My first question then. I believe in my interpretation, my experience with the Lair of the Clockwork God, it appears to want to lead the player into a false sense of security. In other words, oh, I've got this. Oh, wait, no, I haven't. Um, was this the original intent around the design of of the game? Was it the <coughs> accident? Um, what kind of? I think we realised quite early on that, like uh, the fu- the puzzles that we had the most fun with were the stuff that kind of meta stuff. Okay. You know, we we knew the game needed this like bread and butter A to Z of um, you know decent puzzles of good quality puzzles, uh, and we worked all that out and and what have you. But as development went on and on, like the the slightly more out there stuff. Um, which I don't want to spoil, so I won't talk about. No. But um, uh, we were very, you know, once we'd done one, I think we were keen to do more. And we, we sort of basically settled on the idea that there would be three moments in the game where we we really, uh, like, toy with what games are allowed to do. You know, yep. I, think that was, I think that was the mantra. It was like... You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do this in games, and we and we try and break that as much as we could. Which and there, there are these three big sort of gamble puzzles. Any more than three, and I think we felt like we were just doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, so we we sort of settled on three of them. And um, yeah, it was it was it was all about you know tugging at the threads of what games were allowed to do, and it was it was something that we felt would make the game stand out. You know, it was one of those things that we thought there'd be a lot of that chatter where you go, I you know. I can't tell you why you have to play this game, but you, but you, you have to play it. Yeah. Um, those, yep. those kind of, those kind of moments that were, were big, um, big gambles from our side. Cause we were, we were kind of worried whether they'd land or not. You know, you can never really tell once, te- you know, once 10,000 people are playing the game, whether what percentage of those people, the, that, those, those very complicated puzzles are going to land for. But like, I think we've managed it. Cause I think most people, uh, have hit a point where they've, where they've, embraced what we did and, and and run with it so yeah uh yeah it's it's weird but it it was it wasn't like a it wasn't the initial thing it came it came about like i'd say halfway through the design process and it helps that all our design all our designing was done in the pub as well so which is where like <laughs> you can throw caution to the wind and just go yeah, yeah 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 let's do that that's amazing and in and then in the cold hard light of the next day when so you've got to actually sit down and actually program it uh you know, you, you don't have to worry about that in the moment. You can right. just you can just go, yeah, let's make it so this that X Y Z happens. Um, Excellent. So it's just a, basically, I'm not sure Ben you sort of hesitated, uh, but really it was um, the question is everyone when you start playing a game, you think you know parameters of it. You're like, oh, I see, it's this kind of game, it's 2D platformer. Oh no, wait, it's not. Oh no, wait, it's this, and, and that's it. Just it's just that whole. Um, idea that oh um, every game has its own set of rules and parameters and you you've played so many that you become used to their lexicon you're familiar with it but um, the leather lock uh, God keeps on pulling the rug from your feet and it's lovely that you do that 
and I just think it was the intent, but it sounds like it wasn't. But it's a, it happens to as the game evolved, as the design evolved, <clears throat> it happened to be that way, and it's great. It's one of its yeah, strengths. I, th- I, I think we wa- we did want to keep on throwing new stuff at the player, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, with the with the previous two Dan and Ben games, which uh, you you don't need to have played to, to play this one. Like we we kind of, we designed it uh, so that you didn't need to understand anything past Dan and Ben were adventurers, and now yeah. this yeah. is the next stage. Um, but with those, I think you know, aside of a couple of like uh, kind of time travel mechanics or whatever um those were very much you're playing an adventure game this is what you're you know you, you know what you're in for and with this game we did want to keep on throwing new stuff at the player and you know just um uh maybe, you know maybe uh or suddenly in a different format of game or maybe we'll give you a puzzle that you think you have to do one thing and you have to do another or uh you know uh, or we'll we'll tell you that you've got to do this thing but then you don't have to do it and that you know we just kind of wanted to keep the player on their toes definitely yeah i want to talk about pacing now so the layer of the clock my god is incredibly variable with its pacing i've found with the player needed to rely on their dexterity skills with the platforming and then they have to switch to their puzzle-solving skills when they're interacting with Ben. How have you found managing and designing the environments with these very two different characters have to interact with? Uh, I think we always felt that, like... Um, so there's two parts of Clockwork God, which is where the two characters work in tandem. Um, you know... And we, we, we try... We, we, we wanted to sort of move on from that eventually that's why you know the, the game sort of splits them up a lot and and because once you've done it you've done it and you, you don't want to sort of keep on doing the same thing over and over again um so we eventually we sort of settled into a bit more of a routine of like okay here's some point and click so you know you start the game and they're, and they're working together but then eventually you move on and it's and it's like uh okay we're going to do a bit of point and clicking now and then we always called the um you know the damn the damn platforming side of things like a little palate cleanser that like you just finish a big heavy thinky puzzle and then you get to do a little bit of like relatively free and easy running and jumping to keep things fresh it's got it was it comes really from um uh xcom oddly enough in that uh i the reason i get i got so addicted to xcom the remake of xcom is that it does this amazing job of being really really into these really hefty missions and then you you just eke out of a mission with your soldiers intact and and you go okay wow that was like you feel like really overwhelmed it's like wow that was really heavy i'll just do the stuff back at the base quickly and like mop all that up and it's just like you know just clicking on boxes and and healing everyone and assigning you research and assigning you this that and the other it's just like it's a relatively sort of tense but jolly affair of just clicking boxes and and getting your house in order and then by the time you've done that you're like well i'll just play i'll just start the mission and see what it looks like and then before you know you've done the mission and you're back to square one where you're like you've just come in with your or your squad come back and uh and they're all heavily beaten and and you go cool that was really intense i'll just do the mopping up bit at the at the base and then i'll stop and then like and it just gets into this amazing cycle of just um not really wanting to stop because you're just doing different things and you get that you get the palate cleanser of of doing the base stuff 
And I think we wanted we wanted a bit of that where you're you're doing if it was just all out puzzles the whole way through, I think it would get quite dry. I think having like a little bit of just free and easy running around, jumping on things lightens it a little bit um, in places. Certainly. It also makes me think of what we used to say when we watched uh, 24, the, you know, the Kiefer Sutherland show. Um, it was, yeah, you'd be watching a Jack Bauer bit then it had cut to another bit. You'd be like, oh no, I don't want to cut away from that. I was enjoying that. And then you go like, oh no, wait a minute this David Palmer bit is amazing. Oh my God. Yes, thank you. Thank you for cutting to him. And then three minutes later, it'd be cutting from him back to Jack. You'd be like, no, no more David Palmer. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think we were kind of trying to do the same thing where uh, you've, you've got the sections where Dan and Ben are in the same section together. You've got the sections where Dan's on his own. You've got the section where Ben's on his own. And too, too much of any one of those, like, like Dan said, would get, monotonous and i think and i have i've seen some people say i wish that they had more of the bits where they're both like interacting directly in a, in a small and it's like i i don't think i think if we if we'd made the game all that or if we'd had a lot more of that with less of the other i think you would realize that you know that you need that you need that power because gets, you need that. It gets very. Dry. I I thought that exact same thing. It was one of the it was one of the harsher reviews we've had, who very flippantly said, "Oh, it feels like they should be doing this working in tandem thing more, and it's missed a trick." And it's like, no, well, it's one of those one of those really easy things to just say as it like in passing, but actually the reality is it would it would have got really trite and boring. And actually, what we do to keep things fresh and keep the keep them split up, but communicating and uh, uh, and keep the pace going and keep it moving forwards, because that was always our problem with well, it was my problem with adventure games is the pace just sort of slows down to a crawl, and we wanted something that felt more like a platformer in terms of keep on pushing you forward, pushing you forward, pushing you forward. Um, so you know, we we definitely tried to by by splitting Dan and Ben up and then bringing them back together and splitting them up and bringing them back together, it keeps things much more fresh and interesting. Yeah, and yeah. It, otherwise it would have turned into a very, very long escort quest. No one wants that, really. That's yeah, we did. Like, know. We added in, like, um, piggybacking and teleporters to, like, basically remove... Because that, that, that was the problem with, like, the first level, which was relatively unavoidable, was that... Um, you know, you walk somewhere as Dan and then you have to walk somewhere as Ben. Yeah. Um, and you have to walk over the same bit of ground twice. And you ha- you only have to do it like three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even that three times is like, oh, this is a bit much. And we looked at ways of, we looked at ways of like, how do we skip past this? And there wasn't really anything that, that no. kind of worked. Uh, but you, that's why like immediately after that first level, you get piggybacking. So you never have to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. It, but it's, it's a, it's a weird it's a weird criticism of the game, and I I don't necessarily agree with. No. Uh, yeah. No. It's um. So I'm going to talk about the humor now, which size five games are kind of infamous for or famous for for making games that are genuinely funny. Everyone, they always have been and always continue to be so. So thank you for that. But um, with the varying pacing of the layer of the Clockwork God, how have you found delivering humor when timing is everything? Uh, and you can ask that because you're better at uh, remembering words. <laughs> well, I think one thing, um, uh, 
for, for, okay, so for a start, uh, we don't have voice acting. We were talking about that um, initially. You know, it quite late into the process, we were still hanging on to that possibility, and uh, it it got to the point where, you know, we we said, by the time we were writing the dialogue, uh, we were like, right, we're not doing voice acting. So so, um, so we had control over that for a start, um, and also. Um, you know, with our scripting, we've always been quite, uh, we've always been a fan of using uh, pauses and like beats, like so. You, know, you can actually, when you type in a line of dialogue, you can have, you can say, right, pause here for two seconds, and looks away, Ben looks back, Ben frowns, and Ben says his line or whatever. So, um, there is you actually can control their performances to a certain uh, degree um and then past that it's just it's using the language and the sentence structure to in the same way as like a comic book uh uses you know um how many panels there are on a page or whatever to control the speed of the reader like how quickly the reader gets through a page um you know, we'll do the same thing where uh, how quickly is the reader, you know, um, is the player reading this sentence, and how that like when they when they hear it spoken in their head, where is the character pausing? Where what emph- what word is the character putting emphasis on? And you just you just have to achieve that with punctuation. And um, you know, when if you break a sentence, like sometimes you'll have a very long sentence, you have to break it into three different bits. Where on what words do you split it at? And do you use dot dot dot, or do you use a hyphen when they're getting interrupted? Like, are they, you know, so dot 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 will mean that they're, they're kind of drifting off uh, and they're losing their train of thought, and hyphen means that they're like they're getting interrupted or they've suddenly, you know, they're breaking their thought and that that kind of thing. So, um, you actually have a lot of flexibility just just with your writing style and construction. I think the the, the other thing is that there's there's basically two types of um comedy and timing and stuff in all this there's this there's the minute by minute second by second stuff of the actual dialogue and then there's the sort of overarching plot and puzzle structure and all that sort of stuff and and the puzzle stuff um is something that basically i've never done this before but the the entirety of clockwork god was put together free of graphics and polish from start to finish like all the just all the puzzles went in um, so you could actually just play the entire game with placeholder art um, so that we could take a look at the thing as a whole and see what bits are working and what bits aren't working and like whether we needed to make certain sections longer or shorter and and, and that kind of thing. Um, and then after, when when the graphics have started to go in and when, when things are starting to look a little bit more robust, uh, Ben and I sat down and played it and and did a lot of talking about okay this bit needs a bit this bit needs bolstering this bit needs some extra puzzles layering in this bit um you know isn't quite funny enough isn't quite working isn't quite this that, the other. that puzzle's not quite working that puzzle's too obtuse blah 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 blah. so we can like just repeat the same joke yeah yeah, just yeah have exactly. the same kind of joke next to each other yeah so there's a lot of um and that you know once once the dialogue was written and was all in well, but when, once the dialogue was written before it went in, Ben did like what do you do like two or three passes of the script to make sure it was yeah. 
A, all the law tied in together, but it, so it flowed and it worked. And then once the script was in and we could see it in situ, there was then like another process of like fine tooth comb going through it and saying, that's not quite, that joke's not quite landing. That joke's, you know, this, as Ben said, this needs like an extra word in here. This needs words taking out to make it flow better and all that kind of thing. So it's like, it's basically the answer to the question is a shit ton of work. <laughs> yeah and uh for to making a game that has so varying pacing i just found it fascinating that you landed the jokes and they, they do land and it's not just the text but that's a big part of it but also what you're doing i mean a very early in the game you you shove someone onto a bed of spikes he deserves it i guess but he's, he's kind of annoying but you know i was like oh my goodness okay <laughs> this is very very early in the game of one it's not it's not um but uh yeah it's just the visual gags and the, and it all flows and gels together it does show that you did craft this the layer of the clock of god is very much a crafted game and uh so which leads me on to my last point my last question i should say um the strength of any puzzle game is based on for the getting the advising or describing to the player what they can do and also more importantly what they can't do how have you found doing that with i know you've been making these games for a while this genre of puzzles like games but how have you found delivering that information without bashing people over their head over about about it but you know respecting their intellect um how have you found balancing that we balance it um a, 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 um a big way that we balance it is that dan always leans towards giving more information and making things more obvious and you know holding the hands more and i lean towards uh giving the player as little information as possible making it harder for them and we kind of so that is just an immediate um a handy way of balancing things because it kind of ends up in the middle um, where, you know, Dan, Dan will want to give them all the information. I'll say they should, you know, I'll be like, they should be able to figure this all out on their own technically. And then we, so we kind of, we meet halfway and we give them half the information. So that's what, that's one way that it balances out. I mean, we do a lot of, we've always worked to put a lot of signposting in, uh, you know, we drop subtle hints, you, you know, look at, for example, you people people who struggle with the game, I think, don't use the look at function because the look at function basically spells the puzzle out for you and what you need to do. And the people who struggle and say puzzles are obtuse, I think, aren't are just skipping past that aspect of it. It's a, quite an old school part of adventure game design. But, um, but you know, when you're, we look, we always look at ways like if you're using um, an inventory object on something that theoretically might work, you've got to sort of say why it doesn't or come up with an excuse why it doesn't. But then also like lead into what might work, like dropping hints, like in that way. And um, it's, you know, we've, we've always discuss it first at a puzzle based you know, when we're designing the puzzle, I can't think of an example, but like if there's a if there's a lever that needs pulling and you say or a door that needs opening or a lever that needs pulling or whatever, um, when we're designing the puzzle, if we can think of a way of what if it's not a lever, it's this, that and the other, that'll be more obvious, right? That makes more sense in game, blah, blah, blah. So we, we try and do it on a relatively logical standpoint from the design point of view. 
and then anything that like okay that's but that's funny having it as that so we're going to leave it as that that's but that's slightly more obtuse then those are the ones that we lean into and we and we signpost it more in dialogue you know we we would like ben will always say that doesn't really work and i'll just say and i will say it's all right we'll cover it in dialogue and then you just surround that object with with clues um in everything that is clicked so that so that it makes sense within the games within the universe's uh, internal logic yeah that's that's the trick is making sure that the player and understands rules and the logic of the game and like is this is this real world rules like do you understand that if you hold fire under something it gets hotter that's fine you can expect people to know it but if you're making a cartoon game does the player understand that you know if you uh if this is a bad example but if you hold fire under something <laughs> then uh it's going to get very angry at you and it's going to run across the room and and try and like jump into that pool of water and create some steam that you need to make your shirt crease free so that you can get <laughs> that job interview or whatever uh, you know it's just making sure that the player understands enough of the parameters the logic parameters to be able to like put the clues together and and come to those conclusions yeah it's the, um, the... and as like that, like Dan was saying like the lookout mm. is a big you know is a is a big thing that we use because I hate the idea of hint systems in <laughs> in adventure games because you're basically saying to the player it is acceptable for you to just go to hint number three in for every single puzzle uh, and that is we think that's an enjoyable way to play this game and it's it's not um you know I I th- I thought it was really clever in again in like Dare the Tentacle or Summer Max where you can talk to um there's there's a there's there's a mummy in um Dare the Tentacle um like an Egyptian mummy and the characters can just go and talk to it at, at various points in the game and say I'm stuck on this puzzle am I supposed to do this well you know maybe I could do this maybe I could do that and they throw in some red herring solutions it's kind of the the function of it is that the game designer should always be um uh, uh, in essence, like sitting next to you, you know, you know when you've you've already completed an adventure game and you're watching someone else play it and they're stuck on something and you're going, have you thought about it in this way? What are you trying to do? Like, why are you, why are you trying that? And they'll go, well, because he said that the scissors are massive and therefore and you go, like, ah, yeah, that was a joke and he didn't mean the scissors are massive. You know, you, you're you're that person sitting next to the player whispering into their ear. Have you considered it from this angle? Yeah, I mean, I, I can relate. I, I play a lot of role playing games. I run a lot of role playing games, and when I'm sort of negotiating players through an adventure, and they're going one way, and like, um, have you, you know, subtly like drop it? Like, do you remember the thing that I told you about three hours ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, that. Yeah, that's really important. Is it? Yeah. You see, where you see, you need to make the thing that you told them three hours ago. You need to make sure they can't forget that. Exactly. So that you need to make sure you need to make sure that whatever that thing that they can't forget, they're not going to forget it, and it keeps on coming back, and it keeps on being like an ever-present feature in mm. that run. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, you're, you're gonna you're gonna lose them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. Why is that important now? Like, well, it is now. We're, like, <laughs> we're three hours in. You're right. You're right. You've got to keep on, keep that thread going, keep on reminding them. I did try, but sometimes. So, 
The Lair of the Clockwork God, uh, which is by a Size 5 Games. I have to ask, where's the name of the developer? Where's, where's it come from? Uh, about three weeks of sitting in my flat trying to think of something I didn't hate. <laughs> writing like almost random words down. Um, uh, the number five kept on cropping up in my life. Right. Uh, and I, so I, so I, and I liked the size, and I like the fact that size five sounds like sci-fi. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like a massive. Um, it, or, you know, when I thought of it, it. it so I, I, I was thinking about like size thirteen because my feet, I got big feet, and so right. I was thinking about size fourteen, but I didn't really want to name a company over my feet. No. Um, so I changed. So I thought about other numbers, and I thought, well, five keeps cropping up. Um, what about size five? And and I quite like the sound of that. It sat on my tongue quite nicely yeah uh and i thought well and it sort of describes the type of game we make right. Right. So it's like a nebulous concept but like we don't make big triple a games and we don't make like um uh twine you games. know hobby hobby uh flash twine games we make size five games and i think that that yeah. kind of i like that that yeah that's good rank. so yes uh the platforms it's uh, the level clockwork god is out on is i believe now correct me if i'm wrong it's Windows PC, Linux, Mac OS, and now Nintendo Switch and Xbox One. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. PlayStation 4 set to come at some point when um, when they work out whatever the thing that needs working out is. Yeah, interesting time to release games. Can't think why. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's anything to do with that. I, I genuinely, no. it's something. It's something exceptionally boring that was explained to me in a meeting about six months ago, and I have It was so boring. I haven't. Right. Or clearing up what it is, but yeah. it's a thing. It's a boring tech thing. It's not even. It's not a problem with the game. It's something to do with the back end. I don't even know. I don't even. <laughs> but be that as it may, uh, Ben and Dan, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you very, very much for your candid responses uh, to my to my questions. And well done. You've won five million pounds. Yay! <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> That's going to really help. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. That's so lovely of you. That's I can't good. even. Begin. I'm. It's, oh my god. I can't even. That's it's, so good. It, it's also tax free. You know so I'm, I'm actually. I'm just. I'm going to. I'm burning my all my possessions right now because I know that five million pounds yeah. is going to let me buy. Yeah. Uh, um, all those people who were asking about a layer of the top God sequel. It's happening. It's happening right now. It's all Chris. It's all all on Chris. Thank you so much, Chris. That's right. You're more than welcome to come back on to chat about whatever next you're working on. We have a lot of return guests because the show's been going on for quite a while. So, um, but in the meantime, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, canandrince.com. <laughs>